Well, one of the things that I've observed in uh, my children and uh, in all children, for that matter, is that they like to imitate uh, their parents. Now, my children are seven and five, so uh, them imitating uh, us is natural. If your kids are like in their 20s and they're still imitating you, they got some issues, okay? But uh, my kids, they like to imitate us. I've noticed my daughter, Jordan, when she stands in front of a mirror, she'll take her brush and she'll brush her hair exactly the way that her mom does. I've noticed my uh, other daughter, Jordan, who is seven, that every time I do something that kind of frustrates her, she rolls her eyes. Just like her mom does. And uh, whenever I go out for a run, because I usually run a couple times a week, I'll go up and I'll stretch. I'll put my hands on the wall and I'll start stretching. And I notice a seven-year-old and five-year-old, they come right up and they want to stretch exactly the way that dad is. And uh, if they ever have their finger and it's sticking out there and I pull their finger, they want to burp like their mom does, you know. (laughs) But both of our girls, they love to imitate uh, us as parents. In Jesus's day, uh, many God-honoring Jews um, wanted to imitate a group of people who were spiritual leaders called rabbis. And a rabbi was simply a respected spiritual leader who was called a teacher. In fact, that's what that word rabbi means. It's not a big, gigantic word, a small word, but what it means is teacher. A teacher of the Jewish law. Now, rabbis in Jesus's culture had many people who wanted to follow them. But in doing so, when they followed them, they didn't follow them as their friend, but they followed them as either their servant or their slave. In fact, if you wanted to follow a certain religious teacher, you would have to apply for it. Like if you go to a job and you have the uh, job application, you have to apply for it. Or a high school student applying for college or trade school or uh, some other type of training. But the application process to be a part of a rabbi's entourage was extremely demanding. And people would come up and they would beg and they would plead. And they would submit themselves to be a servant or slave to the teacher, to the rabbi. But when Jesus came on the scene, it all changed. It was like when Jesus came, he turned it upside down. He said, servant and slave, you're not my servant and slave. You're my friend. And he chose 12 people who would be his friend. And he chose them and trusted them. And he expected a reciprocal friendship as they learned together from their heavenly father. Now, most rabbis would only hang out with people that were morally perfect. So the people who were at the temple all day, uh, did all of the laws, um, did everything right. But when Jesus came, he made it different. Jesus, this rabbi, when he came out, he said, there's not an application process. He said, if you want to hang out with me, I want to hang out with you. If you want to listen to my teachings, I think they can help you. And often he would do this with the outcasts of society. The people that no one else thought were useful, Jesus found use in. And he was accused for many things. Did you know Jesus was accused for being a drunk? He was. He was accused for uh, many different false accusations. So there were many rabbis in Jesus' day. It wasn't just Jesus, but there were many of these spiritual teachers that would walk around. And many of their followers or disciples would follow them for up to 15 years. And they would try to learn to become like a rabbi, like this rabbi. They would take on distinctions and mannerisms of that particular rabbi. They would eat what the rabbi ate. They would dress the way that the rabbi would dress. And they would use phrases that the rabbi would use. I mean, they would try to imitate everything that the rabbi would do. And Jesus' disciples 
were no exception. Think about it. For three years, these guys put their life on hold to be able to put everything else aside so that they could follow this rabbi. They watched him open the eyes of the blind. They watched him open the ears of the deaf. They watched him heal people who were crippled to be able to walk again. They watched him feed thousands of hungry people with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. They watched him walk on water. They watched him kind of grill the arrogant religious people of Jesus' day. And in our story that we're going to look at today, all of this has been going on. This three years of ministry, and Jesus finally shows up, and they're in this garden, and Jesus says, Hey guys, I'm leaving. Now they don't know that the next day, He's going to go to a cross to die upon it for the sins of the entire world. All they know is that this man that they have been following for three years, and some of them thought he was the Son of God, is now going to be gone. There, he's leaving. So let's look at this in John chapter 16, starting in verse 5. It says, Jesus said, Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, no one's asking me, where are you going? You see, the disciples at this point, they're like freaking out. They're like, we've given three years of our life to follow you. We're trying to imitate you in all that you teach. And they're panicking because now their world's going to change because he's leaving. Where's he going? Verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, which is the Holy Spirit, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now the question becomes, why did Jesus have to leave? You see, folks, this passage right here was a huge monumental shift in Christianity. Up until this point... The movement of Jesus was limited to wherever he was, the physical place. Now, at this point in history, if you were going to receive a whisper at that point in history, Jesus would have had to physically come up to your ear and say, Hey, I think you should do whatever. But here Jesus says, it's going to change. I'm not going to be here. I'm leaving. But I'm going to leave my spirit, my spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and He will always be with you. You see, what was happening was Christianity was this small little sect that pretty soon was going to be decentralized. It was going viral. It was like going to explode. And there was going to be exponential growth. And no longer is it just how many people Jesus can get to to talk to one-on-one, but now His Spirit is left so that it can be thousands and then millions and now billions of people that can hear whispers from God. God speaking to their spirit. And the next verse highlights what this new order will be as Jesus is leaving and the Holy Spirit is coming. And this is what it looks like. It says in verse 8, When the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in Me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see Me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the Prince of the world, that is Satan, now stands condemned. Now, in the scripture, we've got to ask the question, what is God whispering? What is he whispering to us? Well, what he is whispering is conviction. Now, the question becomes, well, what does that look like? Does it look like this? You ever seen one of these people before in a big city and they have all this stuff that Jesus hates pretty much everybody. So turn or burn, right? 
And they got this bullhorn and they got this Bible thumper and they're like telling you how horrible you are. Or does it look like this? What are we going to do with Lance? You know what I mean? Like, what is he whispering into LeBron's ear, you know? Blowing in his ear. It didn't work, folks. I mean, LeBron put a beat down on the Pacers, right? I mean, Lance, don't whisper, brother, like that. Well, I was thinking about it. When God whispers to us, I think it looks more like this picture. Of a father whispering to his child. Now again, verse 8 says this. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will, what's it say? Convict. Convict the world. Now, what you need to understand is that this book, the Bible, originally, the second half of it, the New Testament was written in the language of Greek. And so it was written that way, and then over time it was translated into English. But originally the language was Greek, translated into English. Now the interesting thing about the Greek language is that sometimes one particular word can have multiple meanings of truth within that particular uh, phrase. But when it's translated into English, sometimes we can't put all of that into the word because there is only one English word which is able to kind of give the full magnitude of what Jesus is saying. But it doesn't completely express what that Greek word was like. So sometimes what's really helpful is that we go back to the original language. Now, some of you are like, dude, I don't know Greek. It sounds Greek to me. Well, don't worry about it. I've studied this week to give us some understanding on that particular word in verse 8, convict. Because it can be translated uh, into not just one word, but in the Greek it actually has meaning and understanding that goes beyond just one particular focused word. So that when God whispers to us that he's going to convict the world, what is he really saying? Well, there are three words or three whispers of conviction that come from this one uh, Greek word, convict. The first kind of uh, understanding or truth is that when he convicts, he convicts to expose. It is uh, a type of whisper to expose. This is a conviction that exposes something in us. By definition, it is to make something known, to make something disclosed, to make it reveal something. Now, many of you won't remember this, but how many of you remember those Polaroid cameras where you take a picture and then all of a sudden, you, okay, you look at some of you are like, I'm, I'm raising my hand on that. I've asked other things before. No one raises their hands, but boy, go back to Polaroidville and now all of a sudden people want to raise their hand. That's okay. So they had this camera. What was really cool about it was Kodak uh, developed it. You would take the picture and then it would go, rock, 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 and come out. But initially, it didn't show a picture. It's not like our digital cameras now. And you would have to wait for a while until it got exposed. And then all of a sudden, you could see what the picture was. So that's kind of the idea. And this is the idea that God comes along to those who are far from God. And he exposes their sin. Now, in the very early days of the jar... Uh, we came up with a strategy of how we could reach people who were disconnected from Christ or the church. It wasn't a big, gigantic one. It was very simple, and we simply called it 111. And basically, uh, from the very early days, what we said is, um, everybody can do this. Every single one of us. We can go ahead and we can invest in one person and pray for them until God uh, exposes something in their life and they're convinced to turn to the one who knows them best and loves them most. Now, this person could be anyone. It could be your neighbor. It could be your coworker. It could be a friend. It could be someone in your family. But we said it had to be someone that you connected with on a regular basis, maybe daily or at least weekly. For example, 
what we found in the early days is people would pick people that lived in other states, like Aunt Clara in South Dakota, who is mean and nasty and no one likes her. She needs Jesus. Well, I'm not saying she doesn't need Jesus, but you only see her once a year and you don't like her on that day. So our whole thing was, no, 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 don't think about people, even if they're family that are far away, but who's someone that you're connecting with daily? And so we came up with this concept of one, one, one. It's very simple. Here it is. You pray for one person for one minute at one o'clock each day. That's it. One person that you pray for, for one minute at one o'clock each day, and you invest in their life uh, when those investments kind of come up. And what I do is uh, with my uh, smartphone, which you remember a couple of weeks ago, I'm not very smart with it, but I do know how to put the, uh, uh, set the alarm. And so I set the alarm and at one o'clock, a little thing goes off and I stop and I pray for uh, a couple of people in my life, uh, a couple of our neighbors, Troy and Angie, that God would reach in and touch their lives. Now, I was thinking about it this week that some of you, you've known this because you've been here for a while, but some of you, maybe you've never, ever kind of thought about, man, I could like pray for one person for one minute and I could impact their life. I could listen to a whisper from God. So each of you received a little card that looks like this. It's in your program. I'd like you to pull that out for a second. If you don't have one, just raise your hand and one of our greeters will uh, get one to you. It's a very simple little card. It's just a little business card. But uh, just raise your hand and someone, uh, Abby or somebody back there, can get uh, some cards uh, for uh, folks. And what I'd like you to do is to think about one person who's disconnected from Christ or the church. And you could just write their name down. Their first name, last name. And uh, then your name to remind you to pray for them. And you can put this in your pocket. Uh, you can put it in your wallet. You could uh, put it um, up on the, your bathroom mirror, wherever you go. Refrigerator. Some of you go there a lot. So uh, put that up there. I mean, we all go there a lot, I guess. But uh, put that up there and have it there uh, and do that. Now, if God doesn't reveal a name to you, don't worry about it. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to actually pray that God would give to us a person like that. Everybody got one? Okay. Let's pray. Well, God, uh, we thank you so much that you chose us. And you convinced us to follow you. And you've impacted many lives in this place. And so now, God, we want to be able to invest in someone else. And through your Holy Spirit, God, that is whispering to us, I pray that you would give a name or maybe a face to each person in this place. Just one person that they could pray for for one minute at one o'clock each day. Give them the courage, God, to write that name down. And if they don't sense a whisper of who that name or face is right now, that sometime during this celebration, God, would you reveal that to them and they could take the steps to invest. We know that you're able to do far more than we could ever ask or dream of. So come home, or or come now, Holy Spirit. Come to our home and to our hearts and show us, whisper to us who the person is that you desire us to pray for and invest in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The reason why this is so important is because some of you know the power of it because someone prayed for you. There have been dozens and dozens of people who have come to Christ simply because of this small thing of praying for one person. Now, the question often is, well, okay, I've got this person. What should I pray for? Like, what should I pray for? Well, one of the important things to pray for when people are far from God is conviction. That it all starts with conviction. 
Because without conviction, there is no awareness of sin. And with no awareness of sin, there is no repentance. With no repentance, there's no forgiveness. And with no forgiveness, there's no salvation. There's no transformation. There's no change that happens to someone's life. And so I'm reminded that true change comes when God is working in one's life. When someone's heart is turned toward Almighty God. Now, Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus's closest friends, um, wrote to a church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was kind of like present day Las Vegas, anything and everything, any hour of the night. And we know what the Vegas phrase is, right? Whatever happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. And so Paul is writing to a group of people like this because he started a church there. And as he writes to them, he writes in a very uh, unique way. He says these words. It'll come up on the side screen. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, what happens sometimes is that when we're praying and we're thinking for uh, reaching out to someone else, we think it's up to us to get them convinced that they should connect with Christ. But the reality is that it has nothing to do with our power, but it's God's power working in them. And we're just committed to praying for them daily and investing in their life. And eventually there are whispers that come to them through our prayers. For over seven years, my uh, oldest brother, Tim, was estranged from our family. He walked away from God. He walked away from all of us in our family. His heart just became really, really hard. We didn't hear anything from him. We didn't hear from him at Christmas. We didn't hear from him at Thanksgiving, not at Easter, uh, not for his birthday just never heard from him. And it was painful for all of us in the family, but it was extremely painful for my parents. And I bet some of you know what that's like. I bet there's someone for some of you that's in your life who is estranged from you, that you're not on speaking terms. You don't know where they're at. There's this disconnect from them. And so the only thing we need to, need, knew to do during that time was to pray for him. And so we started praying that God would keep him safe and protect him. And almost every single day for about five years, that's what we prayed. And finally, I was praying one day and I said, God, I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to listen right now. And I didn't hear this audibly, but just in my spirit, don't pray for his safety. Pray that he would come to me. So I started praying, God, would you convict him and expose the sin in his life? And whatever it takes for him to come to you, God, would you make it happen? Folks, I've never prayed a more riskier prayer than that prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. Well, I pulled my dad aside a couple weeks after that and I said, hey, dad, this is what I'm kind of sensing just a whisper, maybe I'm way off base. It's always good to ask somebody else. He said, now he goes, I've, I've been feeling that stirring too. And so for the next couple of years, we prayed that. And then one day I get a phone call. Jen and I are driving somewhere and I get a phone call and it's my dad on the other, on the other side of the phone who said, Tim has been in a horrible accident and uh, you need to come to the hospital. So immediately we left everything, we went to the hospital, and we got there, and he was hurt very, very badly, Uh, had both of his ankles broke, and uh, he wasn't able to walk, and a lot of damage to his body. And once he kind of came through, we kind of asked him what happened, and then we learned that there was another guy coming on the other road who was going uphill and he crossed the yellow line and the sun was 
kind of blaring down at that side, and he went head on to Tim. And that young boy lost his life. And um, I felt for that young boy and his parents, I still do. But I just kept thinking, like, in my spirit, like, that could have been my brother. And so for the next couple of weeks, as Tim and I tried to reconnect with each other, he just kind of said, you know, I just kind of gave up on God. And I gave up on the family. And during the past seven years, I I sensed God kind of whispering to me, saying, hey, come back to me. Come back to your family. But I ignored it because I felt so much shame that I had abandoned as each day and each week and each month and each year went more and more and more. I stayed further away. Now, I'll never forget. He said, I wish this accident would have never happened in this other young boy that now he has to live with the fact that that boy died. He said, I wish it would have never happened. But he said, I don't know if it wouldn't have happened if I would have ever reconnected with God or with you as a family. And I remember he was at this uh, hospital bed. And uh, I said, well, I think you should pray right now that, that you would like allow God to be the leader of your life. And we prayed. And on that day, he did, and he, he's tried since then. And I'd love to say that he's got it perfect, and his life has, you know, gone out of the stratosphere of following God. It's been a roller coaster ride for him. But I was just thinking about it this week, that this past Christmas and this past Easter, he sat around the table with our family, and this past Easter... I was standing there in the back, and all of a sudden, it shocked me. He, uh, this person walked in around, and it was like my brother, Tim. And I was like, like I didn't even say anything. Like, I didn't welcome him. I was just like, he's like, are you afraid the roof's going to fall in? And I was like, no, 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 I'm not afraid of that. And it all kind of began with us praying that God would expose sin in his life so that he would turn closer to him. Now, I'm not saying that if you pray for people, if you're here today and someone's praying for you, you're going to get in a car accident, okay? That's not what I'm saying. No, it doesn't equate that that's going to happen. But there are dozens and dozens of people who sit in these chairs every single week who have been convicted by God by a whisper in their ear that said, I am not at peace with God. I am not reconciled with God. I am not reconciled with my family. And I need to make that right. And people have prayed and they've invited Jesus to be the forgiver and the leader of their life. Many of the folks who are sitting around you folks were one, one, one people. People that someone invested and prayed in. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm not a follower of Christ. I haven't chosen a rabbi yet, a teacher to follow. But maybe you've been hearing some whispers in your ears of God whispering to you. And let me give you some encouragement, folks, that the one whisper God gives to all of us is I am pursuing you. I do not sit on the sideline and let my kids go through battle. I pursue you and I love you and I long to have a relationship with you. And if you're sensing a whisper in your life to give your one and only life to God, listen to it. Follow the whispers. Take the step and turn to him. Now, the second word uh, from this word convict Uh, is the meaning of reprove. Now, it's not a word that we use a whole lot now, um, but a synonym synonym that's very common to it is the word rebuke. So to reprove or rebuke whispers, what do they look like? What do they sound like? These kind of whispers are for those who are already followers of Christ. So expose is for those who are unbelievers, they're disconnected from God, If we reprove, we rebuke, it's a word that talks about 
being for believers who are already followers of Christ. I have a little receipt here that I keep up on my uh, bulletin board. And at the top of it, it says character. And uh, this is from August 10th, uh, 2011. 9.49 a.m. if you really want to know. Um, but I was going uh, to get breakfast for me and a couple of people on staff at McDonald's. And so I uh, pulled up to the first one, gave my order at the first window, went to the second one. They gave me my food, gave me my change. I really wasn't thinking about it. And I drove off and uh, just kept on driving. And on that particular day when I pulled away, uh, this is the only thing they charged me for. A small orange juice and hash brown. Okay, that's it. But I had received not only an orange juice and hash brown, but also an egg McMuffin, a sausage and egg biscuit, a milk and a large iced tea and a heart attack. Maybe at some point, you know, (laughs) but I get all of this. And uh, at first, this was the thought in my mind as I'm driving away. I finally beat McDonald's. Because how many times, folks, have they not got your order right, you know? And you're like 15 or 20 miles away, and you're like, seriously. But you don't go back and, you know, have a big old uproar. You just, like, take the stuff off that you don't like. Or, you know, just throw the sandwich away. Well, I thought, they owe me. I mean, I started calculating it. I bet over, you know, my 42 years of life, I've probably gone to McDonald's 3,000 times. And if I paid three bucks for each one of those, you know what I mean? That's what? $9,000. They owe me this. Plus, you know, since I'm a Christian, one of the things that I do, we talk about this as we reach out to people, get a little free card. You can get them at the uh, resource table. Get a little free card that says, hey, this is free, just like God's love is free. And I've paid for people behind me. So I've given even more money to them in Jesus' name. <laughs> but then... In that moment, I just sense this whisper. Think about what you're doing, Chris. What kind of character are you showing? And I had a few moments of anguish, and then I just kept on driving. No, I'm joking. In that moment, I was just like, you know, I just sense this whisper, not audibly, but do the right thing. And so I go back to McDonald's, I go through the whole process again, go to the microphone where they can't hear you, but they yell back at you, and you tell them, you know, hey, you explain the situation, then you go up to the first window, then I get to the, uh, to the first window, and uh, I tell them, I say, hey, you know, you gave me more money than I needed. And she looked at me dumbfounded like, it's okay, I won't tell, just go. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 it's really not mine, you know, like here, and then I drove on off. You see, folks, whispers convict people who are followers of Jesus. And whispers remind us that we know what is true about God. And when we stray from that, God whispers to us that we would come back. It's like when you say a cutting or hurtful or angry comment and it comes out of your mouth and immediately you just hear a little whisper. Or you click on something on the internet that you know you are not to be looking at and then all of a sudden you get a little whisper that comes to you. Or you spend a huge amount of money on yourself and then all of a sudden you get a whisper. Or you gossip and you have negative thoughts towards someone else. And then all of a sudden you get a gentle little whisper. Or you develop an unhealthy emotional attachment with someone who's not your spouse. And then all of a sudden you get a gentle whisper. Or you file your tax tax return with things that are mostly true. And then you hear a little whisper. So how does God whisper to us? 
It's like that picture that was showed earlier of the father and this child. A gentle whisper of reprove or rebuke. You know, one of the best ways that I get whispers in my life is by reading this book. God's words. These are His words. And many times when I open it up and I'm, I'm reading it, all of a sudden, there'll be something that comes out of it that says, you're not consistent in that area of your life, Chris. There needs to be some change. That's why for many of you, you need to, to get on a regular Bible reading plan because it helps you to, to get closer to God. It's a love letter. I, I know some of you. I, I, I know because I know myself. I have love letters from my wife, and I have it in a little box. It's up on the top shelf of our closet. I kept all of them. Because they mean something to me. And the Bible is not to beat you down, but to actually show God's love. And we have a, a reading plan to help you do it. We have free Bibles. For some of you this week, the book of 1 John, which is a, just a letter of love. It's at the end of the New Testament. Same guy that wrote John decided, hey, I need to write some more. And so he wrote another letter called 1 John. And what it all describes is how God longs to have a relationship with us. An honest, close relationship. And it says that what sin does is it takes this close relationship and it simply separates us. It distances us from God. And in chapter 1, verse 9, it says this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, folks, when God whispers to you, He longs to restore us back into fellowship. He wants to restore us back into a close relationship with Him. My wife, Jennifer, and I, we know how to fight. I mean, do you know some couples that they come up and they're like, we never fight. Well, good for you, you know? Yippity-skippity. Way to go. Woo! But my wife, Jennifer, and I, we know how to fight. And sometimes, I don't even know how I manage to get into the conflict that I'm in. I'm trying to learn from other husbands, you know? Chuck Mock needs a lot of help. But, you know, I'm trying to learn from other husbands on how to, how to do this. And sometimes, I'll come up, you know, to her, and I'll just go, Hey, baby, what's wrong? And then she'll go, what's wrong? What's wrong? If you don't know what's wrong, then we have a bigger problem than I thought we had. And at that point, I'm like, hey, I'm dumb. You know, I just kind of pull back. But my wife and I, we have developed kind of this little phrase so that we don't stay in conflicts for a long period of time. And there are times, folks, that I I say mean-spirited things. I say things that aren't encouraging to her. I walk out of rooms in anger. Sometimes we're in the car together. You ever done this before? You're in the car and one person's driving, the other person's over there. And you're driving and all of a sudden the conflict comes. And all of a sudden you're just like... You start putting one hand there and you're looking out the window. You know, like the car and you're upset and you just ignore that person. Like, some of you are like, oh no, I don't know what that's like, you know. And all of this kind of happens, and we kind of develop this little phrase over time. That whoever the person is, it's kind of, you know, being the culprit of it. That the person would just come and say, you know what, I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? And the other person has to forgive them, because that's what God tells us to do. And then we say this phrase. The way I just acted is not the kind of person I want to be. Now, Jennifer has to say that a lot more than I do. But, uh, you know, that's the way it is. Folks, God wants you to experience His presence. He wants there to be a close relationship. God wants you to feel connected to Him. So let me ask you this morning, do you feel close to God? 
Maybe you feel distant from God. Or maybe there are some areas in your life that you keep hearing God whisper in your ears. I have no doubt that for some of you, there are some unresolved conflicts in your life. Relationships with other people, and God is whispering to you, it's time to make it right. Listen to the whispers. Last type of conviction. The English word uh, convince. There's another meaning to the, word con- the Greek word convict, and it is convince. Jesus continued on in Scripture in John chapter 16, verse 12, by saying these words. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Verse 15. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Folks, this passage is full of ideas that convince us, that convict us to do something. In fact, these verses give us this idea that God whispers to his followers to do something, to actually act. Do you think it's really possible that God wants to lead us and guide us by whispering to us? Have you ever heard someone say before, I felt led to do something, or I felt a prompting to do something? Several years ago, uh, the JAR uh, decided we would start softball teams, not in church leagues, because every time I've been in a church league, they cuss more than they do in rec leagues. And I figured, you know, it's not like we're going to have much transformation with those people anyways. So we would stay in rec leagues and we would walk across. We'd give Gatorade out. We'd try to connect with the other team. We were like 0-10 all the time. So they were like, oh, yeah, you're the church losers. We're like, we know, we know, we know. Well, a guy named John uh, was a guy I was reaching out to. And I got to know him pretty well. And I, he, I found out he liked softball. I said, hey, John, why don't you play softball? He's like, okay. So he played several different games, and he played catcher. And one day, uh, he uh, was playing catcher, and a guy slid into him and broke his leg. It was a compound fracture. The bone went straight through the skin. Everybody's like, whoa, you know? And uh, so they come up, and uh, there was a doctor that was on our team. He's like, man, we got to reset this. And that was even worse to watch. Um, and so what happened was there was a, some dirt that got into the wound and he was diabetic, but he didn't know he was diabetic and infection came. And all of a sudden there was like all this stuff. And he was in the hospital for like two months. They would have to irrigate and clean it up again and again, 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 again. But it was interesting that during this time he started growing closer and closer to God. So much close to God that he finally turned to him as the leader of his life. And they, he and his wife finally decided they'd get baptized. Now, this is what's interesting. On their baptism, the two of them got baptized, and then another couple named Jim and Karen got baptized too. And Jim, after the baptism, he was at home, he's watching TV, and all of a sudden, he gets this mental image of John's old, beat-up truck. And he gets it again and again and again and again, and You know, it sounds weird to him. He's like, I don't know what this is about. And so he finally goes to his wife, Karen, and he says, hey, I keep having these images of John's beat up truck. Sounds weird, doesn't it? And, you know, wives can be so encouraging sometimes. And she said, yeah, quit thinking about it. You know, and so he just kept on going and he kept getting this sense more and more and more and more. And, uh. One particular week, John came to me and he said, hey, Chris, he goes, man, our truck died. So it's our only vehicle. We don't know what we're going to do. And I said, well, John, I said, let's just pray that God would provide some transportation for you. I didn't know anything that was going on with Jim. So we prayed. That next Sunday, uh, John gets here, uh, not in his truck, but I don't know who he came with. But Jim's there and Jim comes up to me and goes, I've been getting a whisper from God that he wants me to give my red pickup truck. It's used, but it's pretty nice. 
I want to, I need to give that to John. Could you tell him for me? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell him. You tell him. He's like, okay. And so he goes over and John, I mean, he's a big guy. And John literally started dancing. I mean, I'm like, dude, you got bad legs. You got all kinds of, he's all excited. And from that point on, whenever I'd see him in that little red truck, he'd roll down the window. I'd go, hey, what's up, John? He goes, look at the truck God bought me, you know? Does God really whisper to us? You know, people have asked me before, well, how do you know when it's God that is whispering to you? And it's just like one of your own thoughts. It's a very good question. This is the way I always talk about it. Follow the whisper and see what happens. And if you follow it and it's like weird and it goes against the Bible, it's probably your thought. But if you follow it and there's these amazing things coming and it doesn't go against Scripture, it probably is a whisper from God. Because we already ask God to bless things in our life. So when we're listening to his whispers, it's like we're already participating in his blessing. Let me ask you this. What would our church look like? About 330 people. What would happen if all of us were attentive to the whispers of God? There's a woman in our church named Jen who uh, got a new job and she got to the job and she befriended a woman in the church by the name of Aaron or in the in her workplace named Aaron. And they both found out, Jen and Aaron, that they were Colts fans and uh, very smart women, I might add, uh, since I'm a Colts fan. And they started going to games together, hanging out together. They'd go to dinner, they'd take their kids uh, swimming, go vacation together with their kids. And eventually, Jen uh, got a whisper from God that said, I want Aaron to be your one 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 person. And so she started praying for her daily and building a friendship with her. And she would ask her to come to church every once in a while, but it just never seemed to work. And then just a few weeks ago on Mother's Day, Aaron... And her three kids showed up. Three beautiful kids. And later that week, I got a text from her, and this is what she said. I really enjoyed being at the jar. We absolutely felt welcome. My son asked me when church was again, and when I told him that it was Sunday, he said, darn, I want it to be sooner than Sunday. Like some of you right now, you're looking at me, you're like, dude, can you wrap it up? And here's a little guy that comes, you know, and he's like, I wish it would come more sooner than Sunday. My kids loved it and enjoyed it. We have always went to church off and on, but never had a church home. I'm happy that we finally found one. And this is your guys. I'm happy that we finally found one with so many great people. Do you realize, folks, before before I ever speak or anyone ever sees me, is 25 minutes, maybe 40 minutes of their experience if they get here early. In other words, folks, they'll choose to come back to the jar, not based upon what I say or what I don't say, but they'll choose to come how you treat them, how you love them, how you care for them, how you reach out to their kids. That's why they come back, because you're great people. And Jen was simply obedient to a whisper of God And Aaron's life and family have been been impacted. And I just wonder, what is going to happen to that little boy's life that said, I wish Sunday would just come sooner. You see, the reality, folks, is that every single one of us have an Aaron in our life. We have a, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend, somebody that we could invest in. We could reach out to them. In your program that you received today, next week, remember, is our outdoor celebration. We're not going to meet here, but you can pull this out. This isn't an invitation for you. We assume you're coming, okay? Bring your lawn chairs, suntan lotion, whatever you need. But what we really want to encourage you to do this week is to invite one of your errands to come. 
to reach out and say, why don't you come? We're going to do it outdoors. You know, people will say that all the time, right? Oh, I believe in God. I just don't have to go to church. I like to worship God outdoors. Say, cool, you can do both. You know, like I've been waiting for this day. And so do that, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, somebody, take the risk. Listen to the whisper to invite. But I've just been thinking this week, what would it look like if everybody in our church was attentive to the whispers of God and followed them? It'd be an amazing community to be a part of. And that's what I'm going to continue to try to build until I die or you kick me out. Let's stand for closing prayer. I'd invite our uh, prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, they'd love to pray with you. And if you're not a Christian today, but maybe during the celebration, someone like spoke uh, to you or you sense God speaking to you. Maybe today's your day where you'd come up and you'd get some prayer. And they, these people would love to pray with you to take that next step. And so uh, come up and get some prayer that way. Or maybe you're a follower of God already, but God's actually been whispering in your ear lately that, that there's something you need to change. And so uh, Cindy and Tom are great people of prayer. They'd love to pray with you. And uh, you could come up and, and accept Christ. Take that step or uh, to just pray for some change. Let's pray. Lord, we long to see you move in unexplainable ways. And Lord, it's my prayer this morning that regardless of where people are at on their spiritual journey, that they would be challenged to listen to the whispers of God. I pray that you would whisper to our church, God to do the things that you're calling us to do. That we might experience the fullness of the kind of life that you're calling us to have. And that we would walk in close relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, today's first steps, I'd love to meet you guys. It only takes 10 to 15 minutes, but it's right back there. That's where I'm going. And uh, so come there if you're new. And uh, guest connections is over there. Have a great week, everybody.